From KYW News Radio, the Delaware Valley's news authority, this is Flashpoint. What's igniting debate online and in your community? I'm KYW Community Affairs reporter Cherry Gregg, and we'll run through the big issues of the week that are getting folks hot under the collar. Coming up... The debate over First Amendment rights in the wake of white supremacist protests in Charlottesville that left one dead and dozens injured. Everyone that was associated with that, organizing that, should be brought up on first-degree murder charges. Philadelphia's first African-American woman district attorney is fast at work. Really learn the lay of the land and what issues are most pressing and elevated that I could tackle most quickly. Her main priorities, first major decision and plans for future employment. All of this and more after a quick break and traffic. Welcome back to Flashpoint. The topic of discussion is First Amendment rights. In recent weeks, protests have been heated with race at the center. Demonstrations in Charlottesville, Virginia began with white supremacists carrying guns and torches. You will not replace us! It turned deadly when the alt-right protesters clashed with counter-protesters. Rallies in other cities also saw clashes with police. And in Philadelphia... We're not going to sit the f*** back. This is now a motherfucking occupation. That's from the Facebook live stream of Black Lives Matter leader Asa Khalif. The group has shut down city-sponsored ribbon cuttings and other events to get politicians to pay attention. So where is the line to free speech? In the studio, we have three guests who will help us walk through the flames of this hot-button topic. First up is Asa Khalif, an activist who leads Black Lives Matter Philadelphia. Mary Catherine Roper of the ACLU of Pennsylvania and Paula Peebles of the Pennsylvania State Chapter of the National Action Network. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yes. Starting with Mary Catherine, could you lay the groundwork for protest under the First Amendment? Well, I think a lot of people misunderstand. The First Amendment is a limitation on government power. It's not a limitation on the power of the people. What the First Amendment says is that the government cannot interfere with your right to speak absent a really good reason. Give me a couple of the reasons why the government would be okay for the government to step in. Uh, Basically to uh, stop violence and some sort of disruption. If folks are are sitting in in a government office at some point, the police are going to clear the office because the government needs to to keep functioning. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, those protesters did something wrong. It just means that that is what the government is empowered to do. It's empowered to keep things running to a reasonable degree. Doesn't mean uh, you can't stop traffic. You can stop traffic. Paula, we talked briefly. There's a multitude of ways to protest. Could you go over some of the tactics that Nan has used and that you have used in the past to sort of get the attention of whoever you were trying to get the attention of? Our protest may take the form of blocking traffic in the street. Uh, at one point, we shut down the FOP. So we found ourselves many times on various fronts when it comes to demonstrations and protests. We will protest in front of the Board of Education if we feel that something is occurring as it relates to uh, our children's education. We will protest no matter where it is. Yeah, and Asa, I want you to jump in here because you are not afraid to do confrontation, just like Paula over here. You're not Mm -hmm. afraid. And you guys have actually had some successes recently Mm -hmm. um, being able to get the David Jones uh, murder case, for example, moved to the uh, attorney general here in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Talk about what it takes to shut down. I mean, I I got sound of you guys with Mm -hmm. Bobby at a Bobby Heenan event. Yes, we went to his neighborhood 
um, and showed um, those bigots up there, the Trump supporters and his supporters, that we're not afraid to come into the neighborhood with our action. You know, there's a time for peaceful protest. There's a time to hold hands and light candles, and nothing's wrong with that. We participate in that type of action. And there's a time to also be militant and be in your face to let politicians know that when black men are shot and murdered in this city, they cannot remain silent. When it's eight weeks, nine weeks, ten weeks, and you as a public official voted by the people remain silent. And because of that, the people have to rise and we rose under the Black Lives Matter movement in militant action to make sure that this case does not get buried in the press. Yeah. And so, Mary Catherine, I want you to talk about this. The ACLU has in the past defended um, the rights of all kinds of protesters, including neo-Nazis. Explain why and if it is important to keep the First Amendment as broad as possible. Why is that important? It is what gives every one of us the right to speak out without interference from the government. We want to make sure that in every corner of this commonwealth, the government gets the idea, understands its job is to let people speak. Some of those people have been folks demonstrating about things that we completely disagree with. The idea is that people have a right to speak even when they are spewing hatred and bigotry. They don't have a right to attack other people. That's the line. That's the line right there. And so, Paula, do you feel like protests are getting tenser now under the Trump administration? Absolutely. 45 have empowered racists to believe that they can take on people of color, they can attack people of color without any repercussions. The First Amendment is not equally applied. It's applied for white folks, but when it comes to African Americans and people of color or people of Islamic beliefs, it's not equally applied. They believe it's okay to attack us. So yes, there is great intensity in relationship to demonstrations and activities that are going on and opposing such racist uh, comments that are coming from the 45th administration, indeed. And so, Asa, you started protesting well before uh, President Donald Trump was in office. I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement was founded under President Obama. What's the big difference that you've seen just being out there? Black Lives Matter here in Philadelphia have had major rallies and have never ended in violence at all. I've organized most of those rallies, made sure that it didn't end in violence simply because I know the stigma that they try to place on Black Lives Matter. But to compare the conservative media, to compare Black Lives Matter with white supremacists, KKK, neo-Nazis is ridiculous. They came to commit violence. They took one of our comrades, whether she was white or not, and they killed her and murdered her. And everyone that was associated with that, organizing that should be brought up on first-degree murder charges. God knows if it was Black Lives Matter, there would not be any type of patience from law enforcement. Mm -hmm. They would have bashed us in our head many, many times, uh, as they have done in this movement. We don't want to ever have to be uh, compared in the uh, the same sentence as those racist murdering bigots supported by those racist pigs that supported them down in Charlottesville that got our sister murdered. Thank you so much, Asa. I want to give each of you a 20-second closeout. 
And Paula, we'll start with you and go on down the line. Strategically, most often we have to plan to be arrested. We have to plan to take over a street because uh, City Hall is delaying giving us the permit that we need to have our demonstration. So it would be nice if the First Amendment was applied equally, but it is not. It is not when it comes to the movement. I completely agree with you, Paula, that police don't treat people equally no matter what the circumstances. There are realities to being visible and a person of color in this city or anywhere in this country. I just got to go back to the first thing I said. The First Amendment isn't permission to speak. The First Amendment is a restraint on the government. And my job is to make sure that the government is as restrained as possible. All right. And last word for you, Asa. I would like to end it with Estada Shakur. It is our duty to fight for our freedom. It is our duty to win. We must love each other and support each other because we have nothing to lose but our chains. All right. Well, to Paula Peebles of the Pennsylvania uh, State Chapter of the National Action Network, thank you so much for being here. To Asa Khalif, who leads Black Lives Matter Pennsylvania, and to Mary Catherine Roper of the ACLU of Pennsylvania, thank you all so much for this lively discussion. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Next up, our newsmaker of the week made history. I didn't really fully contemplate the historical moment when I submitted my name. Philadelphia's first African-American woman district attorney talks policy changes, office morale, and potential conflicts when it comes to police shootings. But first, a quick break and traffic. This is Flashpoint, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Our newsmaker of the week is Kelly Hodge, Philadelphia's newly appointed interim district attorney. She'll finish out the term of former DA Seth Williams, who resigned in June after pleading guilty to corruption. A former assistant DA turned counsel at a private firm in Bluebell, Kelly is the first black woman to serve as DA in Philadelphia. I took a trip to South Penn Square to visit Kelly in her new office on the 18th floor. You've been in office for several weeks now. Correct. How do you feel? Passing day, I I feel more and more comfortable back in the space that was home to me for about eight years back in 2004 to 2011. I mean, with all that happened with Seth Williams and the negative media about this office, tell me, what did you learn that surprised you the most? The relationships that I had and I was familiar with by being a DA here, those same people maintained those relationships with one another and helping each other do the work day in and day out. They were not distracted from the work at hand, which was something that did not surprise me. I believe that I always knew that was happening here. It just obviously wasn't something that was as well known. Mm-hmm. And so how's morale? I believe that morale is is good. I think that it's improving. I think that a lot of maybe what had been attached to the office hopefully has been alleviated somewhat with the finality of knowing that that chapter is closed and that the work of being district attorney is first and foremost the priority. Now, you've only been here for a few weeks, and you're only going to be in office for a few months. What are your main priorities? My main priority is, one, what I took time to do as soon as I stepped in, kind of my day two after day one of being sworn in, was to really meet with the leadership here in the office, um, to really learn the lay of the land and what issues are most pressing and elevated that I could tackle 
most quickly. If you were to say that that, uh, there was a policy that you'd like to implement over the next few months that would hopefully have some long-term impact, what would that be? Really, it's a very comprehensive policy to address the opioid and drug epidemic, and I really would like to try to invite in and partner in the Health and Human Services Wing. I also believe that gun violence, and, and it's something that there's no simple solution. I think that, again, though, involves a lot of partnerships with a lot of various entities that are either very uniquely skilled and have data and information that is helpful, but you have to look at where it's affecting people the most, and it's in their communities and in their homes, and we can't begin to make headway in that arena unless we engage them in what's going to work best to hopefully help you. You are the first African-American woman to fill this role. How do you feel about making history? Truly honored. I didn't really fully contemplate the historical moment when I submitted my name. It wasn't until after I found out that I really connected with the historical impact. I am working and will be working very hard to make sure that the example I set is one that shows the utmost confidence competence and commitment to justice. You've probably heard about the case of David Jones, the police-involved shooting um, that happened back in June. There's been a lot of dispute about exactly what happened, but there have been a lot of protests about that. And recently, the case was kicked to the attorney general. Your office had something to do with that. What went into that decision and why send it to the AG? What I can share is that upon my arrival, after being sworn in as district attorney, probably within that first week is when I actually had the chance to review. And based upon my review of the file, I felt it was best served for it to be reviewed by the attorney general's office. I saw the potential conflict was there, and they agreed, and they received the case. And I just want to take a step back from this individual case and ask you just generally, when there's police-involved shootings, is this something that should automatically kind of go to a third party to eliminate conflicts? What we have in place has worked. If there's a point in time where we feel it does not work or is not working, we obviously have the option that I elected to do, which was to say, in this particular case, it's something that I feel is more appropriate for the attorney general's office. So this is something that was case by case situation. Okay. Talk about the juvenile lifer situation. DA Seth Williams had a lot of controversy about there was lawsuits filed. And will you make any changes to the way it's currently processed? Understanding that these cases, we have victims involved and families of victims involved. And we have to be and will always be considerate of that along with all the other factors. So we're going to abide by the court. We're going to abide by the law. We're going to go ahead and apply that to whatever the factual circumstances are and then make our recommendations accordingly. Obviously, if there can't be a meeting of the minds, that's what the court is for. Okay, so right now the process will remain as it is. So let's talk about you. Talk about growing up in Philly and now, well, the greater Philadelphia area and now being in such a position. There's no necessarily magic formula for it. I think it's a matter of commitment and passion and following things in a course that maybe you don't know it's mapped out for you, but it already is mapped out for you for young people. They just need to recognize what I knew early on. I didn't feel limited. I didn't feel limited by being a woman. I didn't feel limited by being a woman of color. That doesn't mean that there were not limits pushed upon me or set out there for me that I didn't have to overcome. I just didn't subscribe to it in my mind. You said you're going to return to private practice after this term, but, you know, once you get in here, it could change the trajectory of your life. My focus and my first priority is on the job. If there is a need to consider something down the road, then I will do so at that time. All right. And with that, I want to say thank you so much, Kelly Hodge, interim district attorney here in Philadelphia. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next up, we'll highlight our nonprofit of the week. This group of people right here, 
or doers. A new initiative that will uplift Philadelphia's made men. But first, a break, then traffic. This is Flashpoint, and we here at KYWR all about community. And this week, it is all about the made man, a national 11-city, multi-market, multi-tiered initiative designed to honor the extraordinary achievements of black men. They'll be celebrating Philly's best and brightest September 8th. And in the studio with me are two honorees, Big Brothers, Big Sister, Independence Region CEO Marcus Allen and Charlie Mack, founder of Charlie Mack Cares Foundation and manager of so many and friend to the stars. Welcome to KYW. Good to be here. Good to be here. First of all, congratulations to both of you on your honor being called a made man. Mm-hmm. That's kind of dope. I think it is, right? How did you hear about them and what will they be doing in here in Philadelphia on September 8th? Well, it's a day of service, first and foremost, which that's the, probably the thing that really did it for me. I take unapologetically from the, from the more fortunate to give to the less fortunate. And so when they said service and a day of service in our community, then I'm in. So, Marcus, why did you decide to get involved? We know in this community that we have to have a fresh rebranding effort of our black men. A black man have a tarnished reputation in our communities, mm-hmm. in the in, in this country, and across the world. Yeah, and I love what they're they're doing. They're putting black men in front. I don't want people to get confused that yeah, we're honoring about fifty black men in right. Philadelphia, right. but I can guarantee there's so many more who are doing yeah. so much more. Yeah, but they chose us, and we have to use this platform to shine the light on all those who are doing great work in this community. Amen to that. And there are uh, politicians. Uh, like Senator Vincent Hughes, CEOs, corporate folks, folks who are on-air personalities, and many, many more. And there's an actual uh, reception and ceremony that people can go to. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, and, and I'm really excited about the, the ceremony part and the networking part right? because you don't normally get that many black men in the same, in the same room, room, right, where you're talking about how do we serve our community. These are people that actually are doing it each and every day yeah. in their own personal space. This group of people right here are doers. You know, I mean, it's the people that's making it happen. The date is September 8th, 2017. There is going to be mentoring workshops that are going to take place from 9 a.m. to noon on that date at a number of locations at various schools. Then there'll be a press conference between 4 and 6 p.m. as well as some VIP guests. And then this is where everybody can sort of jump in there and get to meet some of these made men and get in that room and start fellowshipping and connecting all of this will take place at the Comcast Center, and that'll Beautiful be from Comcast 6 Center. to 9 o'clock. And there's going to be a suit drive, too. Well, I was about to say that, too. Are y'all bringing some no, suits? Listen, listen, I was about to say that, <laughs> Those 6-7 suits, suits? Are y'all have, bringing some of those 6-7 suits? I have, like, so many suits to be able to give away to someone uh, that want to get their life on. on, on yeah, and, and the tall men have a me. hard time. Yeah, so So there's a lot of guys that are going to be very, very thankful that you and Marcus are two I, of I the men four. that are in that room. I, I told Kai I'm bringing ties, I'm bringing handkerchiefs, I'm bringing... Shoes. I got tons of stuff. So any final words before I give people the details about where to get tickets to help support this event? And I think this is a great uh, opportunity for us to thank the servants. It is my prayer that th- this coming together is going to be something good for our community and ultimately good for our kids. All right. Well, thank you so much to Charlie Mack, to Marcus Allen. Thank you for being here at the KYW Studios representing The Made Man. Details are at themademan.org. That's it for Flashpoint. Follow KYW News Radio on Twitter and let us know what you think by using the hashtag Flashpoint. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. I'll be monitoring the tweets. In the meantime, if there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. 
To paraphrase George Washington, if freedom of speech is taken away, then dumb and silent, we may be led like sheep to the slaughter. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.